Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast, where we are figuring out what kind of men we want to be and pursuing that vision relentlessly for the rest of our lives. We derive wisdom from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. My name is Keaton Tucker, and I want to thank you for listening. Today, we are talking about rules for election years, book recommendations in 2024, and what to expect from the podcast this year. If you are new to the podcast or you haven't just hit that subscribe button, go ahead and do that now. And if you would be so kind, leave a five-star review. And if you want to get into heaven, leave a comment. It is guaranteed entrance into heaven if you leave a comment on your favorite listening app. Thank you for listening and supporting the Institute of Men. What's going on, gentlemen? Welcome to the Institute of Men podcast. My name is Keaton Tucker. Like I said in the intro, I want to wish you a happy new year, happy 2024, and welcome to a crazy election year. So we're going to start this year off with rules for election years. Well, sort of. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I took a month off. I took all of December off because I wanted to focus on Advent and then really celebrate Christmas. And I actually just learned recently that the 12 days of Christmas is not just a song. It's actually a Christian celebration from Christmas Day all the way through the 5th of January, which would make today the, I believe it's the 8th day of Christmas. So Happy New Year and Happy 8th day of Christmas. True story. When I was in first grade, I had memorized the 12 days of Christmas song and I was kind of a performer in my younger years. Not a performer. I liked to be the center of attention and So I took this song that I had memorized and I sang the entire thing to my first grade class. I just stood up during reading time and my teacher, Miss Wilson, let me sing the whole thing. And I sang the entire 12 days of Christmas, which I think (laughs) I don't know how long that song is. Maybe it's like a nine minute song. I sang the whole thing for the whole class out of tune. And they just sat there and listened because that's what kids do. I'm like, wow, what a great teacher. Thank you for letting me do that, Miss Wilson. But. Happy New Year. And you know, I took all of December off. And so the temptation for me on this podcast was like, I want to talk about everything I thought about during that last month and also give a plan for the next year. And then, oh, there's the election. And oh, what am I going to talk about on this first episode? So what I thought I would do today, because we're in an election year and I dread election years. I think everybody probably dreads election years. Your emails, now your texts and your phones and your commercials will all be interrupted by political ads, by politicians not telling you the full truth and everything but the truth in order to get you to vote for them. It's always just, you know, what a year it is. So I thought today what we'll do, I actually I want to tell you um, some things that we'll be doing on the podcast, uh, the plan at least for the podcast this year and um, give you some book recommendations for the year, things that I think will set you up well for to read throughout the year. And then I want to talk about rules for election years. I just came up with these rules that I have for myself um, in order to help keep my head on straight. Uh, you know, I like to follow politics a little bit. Now, I don't follow it as much as like commentators do, and I, but I follow it enough to have a general idea of what is going on. I think that's the responsible thing to do. Uh, but I also have these rules to keep me from going, uh, <laughs> to keep me from basically neglecting my family and driving myself crazy. 
so <laughs> not losing myself too much in the political world. Um, so we'll, what we'll do today, we will go, let's do, you know, what I'm doing this month, the books I'm recommending for the year, uh, what I hope the podcast will be doing. And, and then we will get into the election, the rules for the election years, and then we'll have a normal podcast, you know, moving throughout the year. Um, I still plan on doing an episode a week. That's still the plan moving forward. I do. I just, I've got a new job. I'm starting a new job tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow I'm starting my new job. I'm very excited about that. And I don't know if that'll, how much of that time will consume me or whatnot. And, but I'm still planning on doing the podcast once a week. That is still the plan. But if I miss a week, please forgive me. I'm doing the best I can over here. And then, um, I'm actually thinking about moving the podcast to a, seasons format to make it easier to search. So if that happens, if you go to your podcast app and you're like, well, why can't I find, why is it all different? It might have been because they changed it to seasons. If I do that, I will let you guys know ahead of time so that you can be expecting it. A um, couple other things before we get started. If you, if you would, I have a Substack. Substack is a, it's like a combination of a, of a blog newsletter. Uh, you can upload videos to it. You can upload, po- you can actually upload podcasts to it. I don't do the podcast through Substack much anymore. I do it through a different platform, but Substack has these, all these really, really cool features that allow, um, you know, creators or podcasters like me to communicate with the, with the audience, either via blog or newsletter, uh, by video, by audio, there's all of these really cool features on it and you can subscribe. And so you should go over to my Substack and subscribe to it. If you're already subscribed to the podcast, because if you subscribe to the Substack, I'll, I'll send out emails with letting you know when new episodes are released. I also send out essays that I write or articles that I write on various topics. And, um, occasionally I'll upload a video or a thought from, um, uh, oh, Thomas Akempis's Imitation of Christ, which is my favorite devotional of all time. I, I just, I write there. It's another platform I use. And so you can actually subscribe to that Substack on instituteofmen.org. Now, when you go to subscribe, it's going to say, do you want to do the free subscription? Do you want to do the paid subscription? It gives you those options. Now to my paid subscribers, I want to thank you for supporting the work. Most of my subscribers are the free subscribers and you before maybe just hit the fr- free subscription button. See if you like what I'm putting out before you start paying me. Um, but if you would like to support the work, I appreciate it. If you can do like, I think it's like five bucks a month or I think $30 for the year. So if you pay for it a year, it's significantly cheaper. Um, but honestly, uh, I do appreciate my paid supporters, but I don't do enough paid content for my paid supporters uh, at this time in my life. So just hit that free subscription. And if you're a paid subscriber and you're like, well, I'm just going to downgrade. I'm like, I understand. You can do that too. Um, All right. Six minutes in. Let's get going. Okay. So I want to give you 11 recommended books to read this year. And I tried to choose a general theme on these books. I was going to do 10 and I was like, well, I can't really do 10. I'll do 11. And I wanted to give you like a hundred books to read, but that's impossible for, for most of us, unless you're doing nothing but reading. So I figured I'll give you 11. If you're writing, taking notes, write this, write down the notes or write down the names of the book. I'm going to give you a little description of each one. Um, but I have, I've picked a general theme and I'll talk about the theme, you know, at the end. And it's, based on just what I think is happening in the world and how to help us prepare. So the first book that I recommend is actually, it's a, 
there's a three-part book. It's called The Faith of the Early Fathers. It's in a, it's uh, by a guy named William Jurgens. He actually didn't write uh, this book. He assembled all of the writings from the earliest Christians. Okay, So if you've ever heard the phrase church fathers and wondered what that is or why you can't find information about it, it's because it's really, really old. The church fathers are the men who carried and built the church from after the apostles died all the way up through, I believe it's like they count them through the year 700. They're the men who um, who built the church, who suffered the persecution, who created all the institutions, and then carried it throughout all of Europe and Asia so that you know today we can enjoy the fruits of the church you know, in America, in Africa, in China, like all over the world. It's the, these men built the church over the course of 700 years, and they're broken up into three periods, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher um, the three periods. I know that the first period is called the apostolic period, the apostolic fathers. The apostolic fathers are the guys who knew the apostles. So they knew Peter. They knew James. They knew John. They knew who Paul was. Like they knew them. And then, uh, but the apostolic period, I think goes all the way up to, I, th- I want to say till 300 AD. I should have brought the book out with me, but, um, so, you know, obviously if they're alive in 300 AD, they didn't know the apostles, but it's people, uh, that period, the apostolic, only a few of the fathers get that, that title, the apostolic fathers. And it's the people who knew the, uh, like the apostles and then their disciples after them. So there were like, for example, uh, we're pretty sure St. Ignatius of Antioch knew John, Peter, and Paul. He was the bishop of the Church of Antioch. He was martyred in, like, I want to say 110 A.D., I believe he was martyred. And he wrote these seven letters to the churches. And so that's, like, one of them. He was he would be an apostolic father because he knew the apostles. And then he had a disciple under him. And I, I want to say it's Polycarp, but I could be wrong. There, so you get to see what did these guys write and this guy, William Jurgens, he's assembled them into these three books. So you're going to have that apostolic period. You're going to have a second period, um, which is from like 300 to 500 AD. And then you have the, um, the third period all the way up to 700 AD. And it's all the writings that these guys who built the church, it's what they wrote. It's what they handed down. And it's, it, you will find that there's a large disconnect probably between what you've read in modern books and what the ancients wrote. And it is, it is beautiful. And uh, one of the things, so I read this, uh, there's these sermons by St. John Christostasum, I think is how you say his name. He's got a crazy last name. He wrote a, he wrote a series uh, on Ephesians and he did one on, you know, Ephesians five wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. And it was one of the most beautiful and powerful and convicting sermons that I've ever heard. And I'm actually going to do a series on that, that sermon, uh, a sermon on a sermon, you know, uh, we're going to do a series on that, on how to love your wife, because we want to learn from what is ancient, traditional, and from the greatest men in history. And he's all three of those. And he, the, what he wrote in there is lessons for me. It's lessons for you on how to love your wife. So we're going to pull from that. So faith of the early fathers, you can get it on Amazon. They're really, uh, they're not pretty books. They're like green, blue, and, uh, red and, they're, but they're good. I think you can get all three for 50 bucks. Faith of the Early Fathers by William Jurgens. Highly recommend that because you're going to want to know what did the earliest Christians, what was handed down to them through the apostles? What, what was the theology and philosophy and the practices that built the church that, last, that has lasted till today? You should read those books. 
Okay, that's recommendation number one, the faith of the early fathers. Recommendation number two is Live Not by Lies by a guy named Rob Dreher. I read this at the beginning of last year, and it's a book about, uh, it actually looks at the Russian Revolution and communist Russia a little bit and how people gave into lies by just being quiet. And by giving into lies, it allowed for the destruction of Russia and communism to spread out throughout the world. And it's a it's a book I highly recommend. Live not by lies. Okay. The next uh, recommendation I'm, I have for you is the Lord of the Rings. Everybody should read the Lord of the Rings every year. It is fantastic. I really enjoy the story. It's an adventure. But also one of the things that struck me when I read it is especially the fellowship of the ring, everybody knows that there's dark times and there's things that are changing and there's a shift and everybody, except for the companions, except for the four hobbits and the, the elf and the dwarf and Aragorn. And I just called Gimli the dwarf. Um, except for those nine companions, everybody's like, they know something's going on and they all hide. They all don't do anything. And it's the nine, these nine companions that go on this mission and they have to separate and to really save the world from the darkness. And, that nobody knows what they're doing, but it's going to save the world from the darkness. And and I just think it's a beautiful story and everybody should read it every year. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. Okay. Number four, Age of Entitlement. This is the best survey of American history uh, from the 1960s forward that I've ever read. It it it's you know, thirty thousand foot overview of how the how the how the United States changed from 1960 until the present day, including the sexual revolution, the civil rights act, uh, through Reagan, through the, um, the swapping, uh, what, what was the, uh, supply side economics, very heavily influenced by the lady who wrote Atlas shrugs, whose name I can't remember. Ayn Rand, um, what happened to middle America? What happened to, uh, what all the protests in the Vietnam War, the spending of money, and how it just absolutely created this this state in the country where the, it almost feels like surrounding the 14th Amendment, you have two constitutions. It's one of the best. I read it three times last year because I couldn't I couldn't believe how thorough it was and how eye opening it was. Highly recommend that book so you can understand. It's good to understand how did things get to to the way they are today, and it's influenced by events that precede you by at least 50 years. Uh, and definitely more, you know, you can't factor out the wars, but read that book, Age of Entitlement. It's one of the smartest books I've ever read and highly, highly, highly recommend. It only goes through the year 2016, uh, but you're going to you're gonna want to read that book, okay? Uh, book recommendation number five, Stages of a Man's Life. This is a very short book. It's written by a Christian psychologist, and it just explains, uh, this guy's been a psychologist f- uh, forever, and he actually wrote another book called The Other Half of Church. It's about God's face shining upon you, and it's about joy. Uh, but this this book is covers the stages of a man's life from childhood through adulthood to becoming a father. It's only like 120 pages, but again, it will help you understand your stage of life and what you need to be doing at this stage in your life, your relationships with your parents, your wife, your friends. It's it's a very very it's a very helpful book. Okay, so that's recommendation number six. Uh, excuse me, recommendation number five. Recommendation number six is The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Okay, so The Age of Entitlement is going to cover a survey of American history, what happened politically, economically, 
the rise and triumph of the modern self is going to explain the philosophy behind movements uh, like transgenderism, fat studies, which is becoming a thing. I don't know if you've noted like the uh, it's just called fat studies uh, that obesity is to be celebrated. Um, the homosexuality, feminism, it, it covers the philosophy and the and the ideas behind the rise and triumph of the modern self. Self-expression is the ultimate good. And that book is one of the most important books I've ever read because it helped me understand the philosophy that goes back all the way through. Um, oh, and of course, I'm going to forget his name. is philosopher in the 1700s in, um, from France and how those ideas, he was really a contemporary of Karl Marx in a, in a lot of ways and of the uh, French Revolution. And how those ideas have played out through history and led to what we now see today. He opens the book with uh, the question, why is it now almost a normal thing to hear the phrase, I'm a man stuck in a woman's body, is how he opens the book and he tries to answer that question. It's And it's not a, it's really just an explanation of how we got here. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's an easy read. It's a very important read. It's one of the most important books that I have read. It's by Carl Truman. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Add it to your reading list and then read it. Okay. Uh, the Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. I read this book this last year twice uh, because it was so phenomenal. And also G.K. Chesterton is one of the most whimsical writers I've ever read. His he There's nobody that writes like him. He uses turn of phrase a lot. He mixes his words really well and... He's brilliant, 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 brilliant. And the the everlasting man is a defense of Christianity. And it begins with, um, he's really, he's responding to a book by H.G. Wells. And the book begins with him, you know, working through history prior to the church and then history after the church. And it's a defense of Christianity and how Christianity killed paganism and, and, and how the church has forever changed the world. So I read this book twice. I highly recommend it because he there's this line in there about when the church seemed the most dead is when it is when it resurrected because its king has resurrected. And I was like, "Whoa, yeah." You know, it just got me kind of fired up. Abolition of man. It's a book that you know, is you'll never read somebody who writes like GK Chesterton. I don't even know how to, I've, like, I'm trying to figure out how to describe his writing style, and I don't know how because it's the it's so unique. Um, read that book. He also, uh, C.S. Lewis, became a Christian because of the book The Everlasting Man. That's, that is, like, the turning point in C.S. Lewis's life is the book The Everlasting Man. Yeah. Um, book number eight, The Abolition of Man. I did a podcast on this. It's by C.S. Lewis. It's a hundred pages. Read that book and uh, figure out what happened to men, how we made men without chest by placing them in classrooms and teaching them that what they felt in the center of them between their appetite and their intellect that drove pe- men to do great things, how they crushed it through education. Um, because mere intellect will not make a great man. Mere appetite will destroy a man. You need that center. You need the heart. And in C.S. Lewis, he's got that great line about we made men without chess and demanded of them honor and then laughed at them. This It's a book that'll help you like understand you can't become a great man just through your head and you'll destroy your, your, your manhood through your belly. But we've done this on such a wide scale that we don't have men without chess anymore. And the only way 
to create men without chess is, is to impart to them what is good, what is right, what is true, and what manliness is. You can't teach it through a book. You have to impart it to them, which is why fathers are so important. Fathers have to impart manliness to their children. It has to be caught. It has to be it has to be observed. It has to be, you know, you you have to teach your kids that good men do not steal. Good men do not cheat. You have to teach them to that. There you can't just read about the objective good and objective evil of stealing and cheating. You have to you have to impart to your son and to your friends good men don't steal they don't cheat they don't do this this is what good men do you impart it to them that's what the book is about and it, we need it more than ever and it's it's so prophetic it was written in the 1940s and it's he he says in there if you make men without chess you'll destroy civilization and welcome to 2024 on the destruction of civilization okay that's book number eight okay uh book number nine is by is a book called Demons by uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. This is a uh, book, if you've ever read Dostoevsky, you know he's not easy to read. It's a novel, and it's, you know, Russian, so he uses, um, his, his writing style is going to be different than American. Like, uh, Ernest Hemingway has this line. He's an American author. Um, Remove every obscure word or unnecessary word. Well, Dostoevsky said, add in every every. Uh, obscure word. His sentences are long. He uses a lot of words. Uh, difference in authors. And Demons, though, is about how the ideas of one man um, permeate into the youth and create a revolutionary, revolutionary ideal where they try to overthrow the government. And there's a line in this book that actually kind of ties together a lot of the books I'm recommending that uh, says, start with unlimited freedom, end in absolute authoritarianism. And it's it's one of the one of the students of this other guy who's trying to become a revolutionary and overthrow the current government, and it's a fantastic book. I love that it's called Demons. The other book I'm recommending is Brothers Karamazov by uh, Dostoevsky, just because that book is a phenomenal book on the nature of good and evil, and um, all the seven sin, the seven deadly sins, and fantastic. I just I just highly recommend it. Okay. And book number 11, book number 11, The Devil and Karl Marx. You need to know the influence that Karl Marx had on the world through his communistic ideas and his uh, and how he helped create feminism and what that did to the world. And the, it's a book that's very shocking to read. Uh, when I first read it, it was shocking. Um, kind of hurt a little bit to read. But you need to know what that man, what his ideas and have done to the world and how they've played out through human history. Okay, so how do these all tie together? I made it, uh, two years ago, I made a podcast that was a prediction that the future, uh, you know, in, in the United States, probably the world, it, it would come down to Christianity and uh, some form of uh, Marxism. Marxism has this, at root, dialectic, opposition. It's the oppressed versus the oppressor, and it's been applied to everything. So when Marx was writing, it was about the capitalists. The, the, the capitalists were the oppressors. Everybody else was the oppressed, and the oppressed have a moral duty to overthrow the oppressors and create a new society. Well, it's been applied to race. It's been applied to sexuality. It's been applied to uh, economics again. It's been applied to ev intersectionality. It's been applied to now obesity. It's applied to everything. And they took this dial. People have taken this dialectic that it's the oppressor versus the oppressed, and they have merged it. It was men over women. 
women were oppressed at the hands of men. That's how you got feminism. Um, and that's the, that's the idea is that women have been long standing oppressed by men, which in the everlasting man, uh, uh, GK Chesterton absolutely abolishes that argument. He, he just destroys it. Um, Okay, so you have to understand that has been permeated throughout all of society, which is why everything you read <laughs> comes down to them, whoever's writing, blaming white men. It's just another form of, of racism. It's white men's fault. Everything is white men's fault. Everything's the white man's fault. Okay, and all of these books help that idea be rooted in you because there's currently a, uh, a separation happening between uh, conservatism and Christianity, which is probably good because, you know, Christianity isn't exactly moldable with all political ideals. Um, and liberalism has, has died and we've moved into something else. And you, I'm telling you, you will, you will see there will be Christianity and there will be Marxism and, and, and Christianity is going to win the day. That's why you should read the everlasting man. Christianity will win. It always wins, uh, because Jesus promised it would, but it doesn't mean that there won't be times of, of suffering and there won't be times of hardship. And, and if you try to kill the church, you find you, it will just resurrect because it's King has resurrected. And, but what these books will show you is how we got here. What are the ideas that permeated? What are the historical events that happened to bring us to this point? Who were the, um, the culprits behind the ideas, how did their ideas, you know, uh, permeate? So you demons is about one guy whose ideas permeate through some young people and then they lead leads to revolutionary. Karl Marx is the same thing. His ideas permeated through young people. Lenin was a Marxist, a young guy who's a Marxist who started the Russian Revolution and then spread that nonsense throughout the entire world that led to the death of 100 million people. And if you're wondering where f feminism comes from, it comes from the ideas of Karl Marx, which is uh, detailed in um, The Devil and Karl Marx. And which, if you were to ask, which is more deadly, communism or feminism? Well, communism led to the d death and destruction of 100 million people at a minimum worldwide in the 20th century. Feminism killed over, uh, last I checked, 80 million children, babies, infants in the last decade, in one decade worldwide, because feminism brought abortion and that abortion has killed. I, I like Google it. You could like how many babies have died in the last 10 years. And there's this pro abortion website that just brags like we've, we've about how many children they've killed in the last 10 years. So which one was more destructive? Probably feminism. Um, but it, it's, they're both rooted in the same guy whose stupid ideas destroyed much of, of the earth. It's, that's why it's called the devil and Karl, Karl Marx, uh, because only the devil could be that destructive. And you, when you read the book, you're like, oh my gosh, this guy had to have something inside of him that was beyond just merely human. Demons is about how one, how that book, Demons, one man's ideas leads to destructive revolution. Um, the abolition of man is about happens when men don't have chest to stand up to to the evil that comes. The everlasting man is like the church is going to triumph for whatever for no matter what the church is going to triumph. You can't beat it because it resurrects, and it's the truth, the whole truth, and everything but the truth. It's the pillar and buttress of the truth, according to Paul. The church is it. It's, the government is on Jesus' shoulders, which is the church. You're like the rise and triumph of the modern self will explain to you the ideas that go into the conversations you hear. 
the Lord of the Rings will remind you that good always triumphs over evil, even if it's only nine guys on a mission that nobody knows about. Live Not By Lies will give you the courage to stand up for the truth instead of being silent. And the faith of the early fathers will remind you that the that this church has been built through persecution. It's been built through triumph. It has died. It has resurrected. And that it's 2,000 years old and the kingdom of God will have no end. That's what those books will remind you of. So add those, add those 11 to your reading list this year. Read them and be prepared for a crazy election year. All right, I got a little fired up there. Um, don't forget to pray and read your Bible either, of course. Um, okay, uh, on the podcast this year, I've got some uh, series that I'm hoping to do. I just wanted to let you guys know about these. So I've got, uh, the, I want to do a series, I told, like I said, above on how to love your wife. I keep meeting men who don't seem to know how to love their wife. And I know I've only been married for a few years, but um, I, do know, I, I do know how to love my wife. I, I have done that, I think, pretty well, and it's not because I'm great. It's because I just I took the advice of people who were uh, wiser than me, who'd been married for a long time, and I just did it. I, I didn't ask. I was like, I didn't try to figure it out on my own. I just did it, and so I want to just pass that on to you. But there's also this thing called um, in so well. There's two things. There's called the Have you heard of the manosphere? The manosphere are podcasts and articles geared towards men. So this this podcast would probably be considered in the manosphere, but it would be on the fringe of the manosphere because we don't do hype and I don't talk too much about, you know, what's called red pill masculinity and red pill masculinity is the one I'm really trying to combat. Uh, red pill masculinity is the Andrew Tate's of the world. Um, it's basically feminism, but for men. Um, and, these, there's these guys who like, like Andrew Tate is like, if a girl doesn't respect me, I kick her out of my house. I'm like, well, you shouldn't have had her in your house anyway if you didn't ha- have enough manliness to cherish her and love her. Um, and so you're gonna put her out on the street. <laughs> but there's red pill masculinity is feminism for men, and it will be just as destructive as feminism was, but maybe worse. And it will also just cause, it, it's just going to cause significantly more problems. And a young men are buying into this because the, the fruit of feminism has just completely emasculated men. And this res, the response that's coming from the red pill masculinity is not beneficial. I don't think it's good. It's not godly. It's definitely not Christian. That's for sure. Um, but it has like everything that's a lie. It has a hint of truth in it. And so I actually, I want to do a series on how to love your wife to give hope to what it means to love your wife and remain the head of your household as learned from John Christostom. And um, so I, we're going to do that. I've also, we're also going to do a series called the 10 musts, the 10 musts, not musks, but musts. Uh, there's 10 things every man must do for his household. Uh, including turning his household into a domestic church, being the head of his family. Um, we're going to do a whole series on that, again, to try to combat that red pill masculinity because it's it's ridiculous. Uh, I also want to do the seven virtues of Christianity, uh, which are faith, hope, and love, prudence, justice, or righteous righteousness, temperance, and fortitude, which is long-suffering. So fortitude on there, you know, it's going to be one of, um, well, I guess, Faith, hope, and love are also fruits of the Spirit. But, uh, wait, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness. Just going through these. <laughs> well, love is a fruit of the Spirit also. But fortitude, long-suffering is also a fruit of the Spirit, but it's also a virtue. It's also it's one of the things that Jesus said to hold fast to. 
like if you if you are if you have fortitude, if you suffer long, if you persevere, you will gain your life. And I think the, you know that's one of the virtues of Christianity. So we're going to go through those. I also want to go through the twelve virtues of Aristotle. Uh, that you'll see some overlap there. Uh, part of the reason I want to go through the twelve virtues of Aristotle is because I myself have never gotten to do a deep dive on them, but. Uh, Aristotle was very influential on St. Thomas Aquinas, who wrote the Summa Theologiae, which we had talked about several episodes ago. Uh, I've never read the Summa because it's so large. Other people have read it. You can listen to them. But uh, his 12 virtues were very influential uh, on um, St. Thomas Aquinas as he tried to understand the virtues of Christianity. And, and I, again, I don't know exactly how all that works. I plan on doing the deep dive to understand. Um, so I want to go through that, uh, this year. I also want to go through this phrase that is, uh, there's a podcast called the order of men by Ryan Mickler. Um, and he has these three pillars that he talks about, protect, provide, preside, uh, that every man needs to do for his house. And I want to do some series on those where I, I, um, kind of spell those out. So protect emotionally, you protect physically, you protect financially, um, you protect spiritually, you provide all of those things too. And so I want to spell those out to kind of, what I'm trying to do is create a holistic version of masculinity that is not red pill masculinity and not Andrew Tate. That's that's the goal of this year. Um, I also want to do, there's this book I read called No Apologies by Anthony Esselon. Great book. Um, there's a chapter in there that is all about things only men can do. And it's about building bridges and tunnels and uh, lifting large things. And um, I want to do an episode on things only men can do. Cause you need to know as a man, there's some things that your wife, your woman, your girlfriend, that women cannot do. And it's, it has become ridiculous that we can't even acknowledge that it's easy to acknowledge that. There, well, we can't even acknowledge that there's things uh, men can't do that women can do like give birth to a baby. We have this guy <laughs> like, what world do we live in where people believe that men can have babies? It's like I saw an ag- a magazine with a what looked like a, it was a woman pretending to be a man who was pregnant, and you're like, like what, what? Only women can have babies, and there's some things that only men can do. Um, so we're gonna do it. <laughs> Sorry, it's just. It's so ridiculous. You have to laugh at it now. You can't just be, you can't be upset all the time. You have to laugh at it and be like, whoa, wow, what a time to be alive. Um, yeah, so we're going to do, I want to do a series on that. I want to do a series on how to self-educate um, without driving yourself down into the deep end of nonsense. Um, I have all these proverbs on my phone that I get reminded of on a weekly basis. I want to do a series on those. And then I actually want to do a very short series from the greatest line in the movie. It's a wonderful life. It's at the very beginning of the movie when the angels are all talking and they call out Clarence, the, (laughs) the guy who's got the faith of a child, but the IQ of a chicken, I believe is what they say. Um, they call Clarence and, Clarence is talking to Joseph and and they're telling him all about George Bailey and he goes, oh, is he sick? And Joseph goes, no, worse. He's discouraged. And that, that's the best line in the entire movie. He's not sick. He's worse. He's discouraged. And I want to do a series on discouraged men and how to overcome that because every man I've ever met has gone through a period where he is unbelievably discouraged. And so I plan on doing a a series on that. So that's the plan for the podcast this year. Planning, I'm also planning on sticking to the plan 
you know, you have to plan to stick to the plan. Many of us, if you do resolutions, you've stuck to the plan and, or you make the plan and you have a hard time. You don't plan to stick to the plan, you know? So it's going to be a good year on the podcast. I'm very excited for what is to come. And don't forget to subscribe on Substack so you, that you're always notified or subscribe also on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you listen to the podcast. And now let's get into rules for election years. All right. If you thought that 2020 was a wild, wild election year, which it was, we were all locked in home for a period of time and we wore those crazy masks and we had to check into church and we had to do all sorts of stuff that made us scratch our head and made some of us angry. And then you had people storming the Capitol, you had BLM riots, you had marches, you had just like, <laughs> could have been a, you could make a comedy out of 2020. You could also make um, uh, pretty serious political movements out of 2020, which has also happened. Um, and if you thought that was a wild year, well, I, I, I actually think this one's going to be wilder. And I, I may not have thought that until Colorado decided to bump the leading Republican candidate off its ballot. And then Maine followed. And you don't have to be a Republican or a lover of Trump. I'm not a lover of Donald Trump. I would love a different candidate than Donald Trump. Um, you don't have to be a lover of either one of those people or either party to know that that's not good. That like that's that's not good. When you have the Department of Justice targeting parents, that's not that's objectively not good. When you have political opponents removing people from ballots, that's when people start shooting guns at each other. Like we are in for a wild year because too many people, maybe rightly so, maybe not. I'm just I'm trying not to be. Um, I'm, I'm trying not to make political statements here, but too many people are under the impression that this is the last true election. And, you know, it might be. If you look back through history, this might be the last true American election. The, if, if you've read anything about the Russian Revolution, if you're the French Revolution, any other of the moments in history, we're, we're at a tipping point in the United States of America. And when tipping points happen, they happen. And you have you and I have to be prepared to suffer long, to endure, to take care of our families and to not get so caught up in what could have been. And just you got to like you just it's tough for me because I haven't lived through one. I've just read a lot about them. And it seems like we, we we're going to be we might have the last. It doesn't even matter who gets elected as president. I like that's the thing. I don't think it matters who gets elected. It might be the last true election. But who knows? You know, who knows? It could not be, and maybe I'm just being a little pessimistic. Maybe. I've just read enough history, um, especially I did a lot on the Russian Revolution last year, and I'm doing more this year trying to understand what that, that did for the world and what that did to the world. And and uh, it just makes you open up your eyes and see, like, Bolsheviks are everywhere, and they are ready to do whatever they need to do to gain, keep their power. And if you're wondering, the Bolsheviks, the very first thing that they did was they took over an Orthodox church, in Russia, on an island, I think it was a monastery, and they turned it into the first gulag. That was the that was their first thing when they came to power, and that's where you. And then they sent millions of people to the gulags, and Alexander Solzhenitsyn was one of them. And he that's why we have the book, The Gulag Archipelago, to warn us about these things that they actually happen. They actually happen. They actually happen. 
they happen. Okay. It's time to not, let's get our head out of the dust. We're not ostriches with our heads buried in the sand. Like stand up, look around, see what's happening and pray and act accordingly. So, but for election years, <laughs> sorry, thanks for my rant, you know, um, election years. These are some rules I came up with myself, came up for myself. You don't have to use them. I just think they're very helpful when it comes to election years. Uh, Rule number one, assume you're not getting the full truth. Just assume you're not getting the full truth. If you assume you're not getting the full truth, that'll force you to think. It will also force you to search and it'll force you to contemplate and it will force you to talk to other people. If you just repeat whatever you heard from a clip on a video or you read on Twitter, if you just repeat it as if it's inerrant or whatever, you're going to have you're you're just going to you're just going to be like a scratch CD on repeat or a loop, okay? So, assume you're not getting the full truth. Assume that there's more that you need to understand. Assume that you might just be hearing it from uh, an intended angle. And it'll help you sort through the plethora of marketing and information that we are about to experience. Okay, so that's rule number one. Just assume you're not getting the full truth. Uh, Number two, be watchful of the abuse of words and language. Okay, I have a friend who's in marketing and he said once that marketing is change. The entire goal of marketing is to change. I was like, change what? He said, whatever you need to change. It's like, whatever you need to change. He's like, yeah. That's what marketing does. It forces people to change whatever the person marketing thinks needs to change. It's like, well, that's pretty in- insightful. And politicians, they are in mar- they are in marketing. Their campaigns are in marketing, and the goal is to get you to change your mind about whatever. Now, a lot of times, marketing has the has the uh, effect, especially political marketing, of making you dig your heels in more. Um, but it's they're using words and language to manipulate the way that you think. I'll give you. I'm going to give you two examples. Um, there is a phrase going around. I'm, I'm gonna pick on the, on the lefties, um, cause they're easy to pick on. Um, one of the phrases that they, that they use a woman's right to choose. Okay. That's, that's a phrase that they use. That is an intentional phrase meant to blur boundaries and not be specific so that it's impossible. It's very, so that it's difficult to argue with. They'd be like, Oh, you don't believe in a woman's right to choose. You don't believe a woman has a, to, the right to do what she wants with her own body. It's meant to put you in a corner and let you get beat up. Um, and that's that's the power of language. The The correct response to that is choose what? What do you mean? A woman's right to choose. Choose what? Oh, uh, because you, there's many things that a woman could choose. Um, and so that, that's just one way that, that people use language. They, they try to make it so that it's hard to argue against. Here's another one. Protect, we must protect democracy. We must protect democracy. So protect democracy. This comes from that book, Demons. Begin with unlimited freedom in a democratic system and end with total tyranny. The <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we must do all we we must do all we can to protect democracy, even if it means killing democracy in order to protect it. That's like what they mean. We will remove everything that we need to do, including removing a political bone off a an elect off the ballot. To protect democracy, you're going to take people's away their their right to vote to protect the right to vote. You're like, <laughs> oh, weird nonsense. Okay, so look look out. Just assume language is going to be manipulated. 
Okay? Be, be watchful of the words. Be watchful of the syntax. Rule number three, everything will get twisted to blame the other party. Again, I'm going to pick on the lefties because uh, this is just this, <laughs> it's just fun. This this one is kind of funny. So a hurricane, giant hurricane hits the coast of Florida earlier this year. And news commentators on MSNBC and CNN blamed Ron DeSantis, Governor Ron DeSantis, for the hurricane. It's a hurricane. And it's 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 the one of the presidential candidates. It's his fault. Yeah, that that is the wildest thing that I've ever heard. It is it is Ron DeSantis's fault. Now they they also blamed climate change, and then a climate change person said, "Well, you you know you can't measure that at this stage," and uh, which is beyond me. Um, but it was it was just like it's a it's a hurricane. It's one of the most devastating hurricanes uh, in the last ten years, <laughs> and they're blaming it on a on a man who has no power to change a hurricane. As you can expect, that. Whatever happens this year, each party is going to find a way to blame the other party for whatever happened. Don't fall for it, especially if it's especially if it's something like a hurricane. Like, golly, ah, that Ron DeSantis caused that hurricane. You know, down in Florida, those people. Uh, all right, rule number four: one podcast a week is probably sufficient. You don't need to watch the news and read Twitter every day. Uh, one a week is probably sufficient uh, as you get closer to the election cycle. If news breaks, you're going to want to know a little bit more. Maybe go two or three times a week. Know what's being hidden. Know what's being revealed. All those things. But you don't need to drive yourself mad listening to too much political podcasting. Okay, um, And you don't need to be scrolling on Twitter all the time. That's a rule for myself because I like to scroll on Twitter and read um, what the people are writing. <clears throat> rule number five. Watch the full speech by the candidate. Don't merely watch clips. Watch the full speech. The full speech will give you context for the clips. It will allow you to see why a candidate is using certain words that they're using. It'll also make you more informed and it'll slow you down and it will keep you from repeating something ad nauseum that may or may not be the full story. Watch the full speech. They only use clips on commercials. They only use clips on the news because again they're trying marketing has changed and they're trying to get you to change your mind so they're going to pull they're going to pull little bits here and a little bit here and then be like see um okay so watch the full speech by the candidate before you form an opinion uh rule number six just expect chaos expect protests and expect tragedy just just expect it it's an election year it's going to happen and then rule number seven is to pray pray for your leaders that we might live a quiet and peaceable life, godly and dignified in every way, so that all may come to the knowledge of the truth. Like, the church is going to be fine. I know there's church turmoil right now. I know that there are church debates. I know that there's crisis of authority and crisis of leadership, and I know there's all, I know. I'm, I read about it. I am aware. But I've also read a lot of history, and I know that the church resurrects every time that there's a crisis of authority, whether it's in in the church itself or in uh, in uh, governmental authority. Like they they survived Nero. It, they survived. It survived everything. But you and I were born in this time, and you and I have to make the most of this time. You and I have to pray for the leaders in this time. We have to. 
trust the leaders as best we can. I know leaders are really leaders are naturally hard to trust in, in this era. We have to do what we can for our families in this time. We were born in this period. That's from Lord of the Rings. Man doesn't get to choose what time of period he was born into. All he can do is make the most of what he's what of the time that he's been born. Okay, you and I, we know we were fortunate. We were not born before, like before World War One and World War Two, which is one of the most atrocious things that's ever happened in the world. But we were born in this time, and we have an obligation to pray for the circumstances in this time, to follow Jesus in this time, to become like Him in this time. And to pray and pray and pray and pray. You know, when Jesus in the Gospels, anytime he's warning about wars and rumors of wars and the destruction of the temple and future persecutions, he literally tells the women who are pregnant. He doesn't he, he doesn't even say, I'm going to protect you. He says, just pray that you're not pregnant when this happens. Because it's going to be really hard for you to get out of here when these persecutions come. He just said, pray that it won't happen. Pray that you have the strength to endure. Pray that you like it won't happen in winter. Pray that like when that you'll be able to escape. Pray. He just gives he's like, just pray that you will be able to make it out alive. Because he's not gonna stop certain things from happening. He he has better there's something else more that more mysterious going on than you and I could ever imagine. But we must pray. We must trust. We must do all that we can to make the most of 2024 in our time here on earth because we are just passing through. We're, we're just passing through. This year on earth to know God and to prepare for heaven. That's like why you're here. No God. I know that's probably simplistic, but you're here to know God, to follow Jesus, to prepare for heaven. And you're, that's what we're doing. We're getting ready for heaven. This, is, this life is very temporary. Ask everybody who's over 60. They'd be like, wow, that was the fastest 60 years of my life. It is. So pray. This is just one election. Everything will be fine in the long-term scheme of things. We will pray. We will persevere. And we'll become the men that God has destined us to be. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Institute of Men podcast. Until next time, I'm Keaton Tucker. And God bless. God bless.